Hi, this is Steve. So, this week we will see the release in theaters of one of the most anticipated and talked about comedies of the year. And when I say talked about, well, let's just say some of the things being said about this movie aren't very nice. I'm referring, of course, to the reboot of Ghostbusters, starring Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy. So, naturally on the cinephiles, it seemed like a good idea to check out the original. We're talking about Bill Murray, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Dan Aykroyd, and Rick Moranis all at the top of their game. Joining us for this discussion is the brilliant, funny, and talented Victoria Garcia Kelleher, who will give us some great insights into the challenges of performing in a comedy. And yes, we'll even spend a few minutes talking about whether or not women are actually funny. Spoiler alert, they are. So, Ghostbusters is available for rental on iTunes and YouTube, and there is a great Blu-ray with lots of bonus materials if you're into that. Oh, and uh, one more thing. When John and I started this podcast, our goal was to explore classic films from every era and genre, but we also wanted to choose movies that connected to something going on in the world. So the deaths of Muhammad Ali and Peter Schaffer led us to do podcasts of When We Were Kings and Amadeus. The controversy around Batman v Superman led us to the original Superman starring Christopher Reeve, and now we're doing Ghostbusters. So for those of you paying attention, you might have noticed that that's a bunch of movies clustered around the late 70s and early 80s. But I promise, that's not the only era we like. In fact, if you don't believe me, here's a little tease of what's coming up on The Cinephiles. Do not forsake me, oh my darling, on this You win, you win, I give. I'll say it. I'll say it. I'll say it. Destiny! Destiny! No escaping! That's for me! Destiny! Destiny! No escaping! That's for me! Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! So, do any of those sound familiar? And as always, if you want to contact us or request a movie, you can do it on our Facebook page. You can reach me at Twitter at SR Morris, John at The Roca Says, and please don't forget to write us a nice review on iTunes. They really help. Okay, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Cinephiles with Ghostbusters. <laughs> Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a classic film, explore its ideas, the filmmaking, its history, and the influence it has on us today. Uh, my name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm an actor and voiceover artist and host uh, uh, and co-host of podcasts and shows around town here in Los Angeles. And uh, this week, we are lucky enough to be joined by a very special guest. Uh, Victoria Garcia Kelleher is a fantastic actress. You have seen her all the time on your TV in all sorts of wonderful commercial campaigns like Chef Boyardee and Lowe's. And the most recent one, I think, is uh, Ego, as well as on TV. And uh, Vicky also happens to be a fantastic uh, acting teacher and a great uh, person to discuss the craft of acting. Vicky, welcome, welcome to the Cinephiles. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I thought I'd be very serious, and then that ended. <laughs> 
to get ready. That's what yeah. This is a serious film and a serious show. I <laughs> yes, feel, of course. Yeah, I can tell. Very um, serious. Um, uh, I wanted uh, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is you know we're we're friends and we've had lots of discussions in the past sure. about about the craft of acting and as a, as an actress and an acting teacher, I wanted when you have uh, are working with young actors and particularly in the area of comedy, what is the big thing you feel that they miss or that they really need to work on in terms of their craft? Well, you know, it's funny because listening to the Young Frankenstein, you were talking about music and, mm. and, and the, you know, I think there's a, uh, something you're born with that when you're somebody who's just kind of funny, that you hear it. It's like a music that you hear. You hear when the moment is to drop the thing. You hear the moment to make the joke. And a lot of people maybe don't have that, but I think it can be taught in terms of technical stuff, like looking at the writing specifically and saying, here's where this is building and here's where the turn is. And, you know, when you look at especially sitcoms, they really do blueprint it for you. I mean, right. it literally mm. will say she, you know, stops laughing and then in parentheses, it'll say then, which means do something different than mm. laugh. Mm. And then, you know you're not serious or whatever the line is. So it's, it, they do kind of beat it out for you. Um, so it's hard to teach. You can't, I don't think you can teach the instinct, but I think you can teach the technique. Do you think they get better at finding the joke over time? Yeah, I think they do. I mean, the harder, you know, we're always saying you have to work every day at it. You have to work every single day at your craft, whatever that looks like for you. Um, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell book, uh, oh, yeah. you know, the the, put in your 10,000 hours right. And, um, I think people think because they're humans that they've already put in a certain number of hours <laughs> as it is, you know, because they're like, well, I'm a human. I, I've lived. So clearly yeah. I, I'm an actor. I, I've made people laugh. I've made people laugh. That's a big one to me. It's like they go, is, and people say this to like, oh, you're so funny. You should be an actress. You're so funny. You should be a comedian. And the thing is like being funny as a human is not the same thing. Not the right. same thing. As being funny professionally. Absolutely yeah. not. Because as a human, you can do, uh, you know, your instinct will happen. As a professional, you have to recreate it over and over again right. for the different takes. You have to be able to know exactly what you did to some degree to make the next take as good or better. Hmm. Um, it, there's genius, which, you know, you can just land a joke and be like, oh my God, that's genius. And then I've seen a lot of stand-ups. Yeah. They cannot recreate. Right. The moment they just had, because mm -hmm. it's just in there, you know, it's not possible. Yeah. Well, and sometimes that moment, that only happened then. There is That's no, it. there is no, you can't go back to that. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's also the understanding how, what the structure of the joke is, how to take apart the joke, because you, uh, you have to create humor. You can't just be in a room at a bar and, oh, you said something really funny. Well, now it's like, well, now you have to create a new one and another one right. and another one. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is all, uh, you know, being present and in the moment and allowing your, I'm, I'm a big proponent of you know the right brain and your your access to your right brain is the amount of access you have to genius and magic and that's about not really preparing it's about doing the work to know what things you know it's i always make the analogy of being a softball player mm. because i'm 51 percent hetero uh, and I, has that been scientifically proven? Yes, yes. There's a there's an online thing. I think it's like heterohomo.com, something like that. Um, not a sponsor of the show. Not yet. Yes. Um, but uh, uh, I'm. I say when you play softball, you go to the batting cages and you practice your stance and you practice your you know the way that you're going to hold your elbow up and make sure you don't drop your shoulder and you practice, 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 and then when you are at 
the plate, you can't think of any of it anymore. You, can't, you, you have to let go and trust that your body is going to do what it has been practicing doing. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do the batting cage, you're going to be lucky if you hit the ball. Yeah. You know? yeah, the, the, or, Orson Welles said a very similar thing, which is people <laughs> ask him, do, do you prepare as a director? And he said, oh, I prepare everything. I prepare every single detail. And then the moment I walk on the, sh- the set, I let it all go. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I find this, having done martial arts for years, I find the same thing. Because that, that conscious logical part of your brain it can't function when you have to hit a a softball or when Mm. you have to respond to an actor you have to just be in the moment and let it happen did you see the thing recently about the baseball um and how it's like scientifically impossible for humans to hit a baseball oh not see that yeah i mean it's it should not be possible there there's no way when they did they did the math of it and they said by the time the ball leaves this the pitcher's hand it's like whatever point blah blah milliseconds yeah. which is half of a blink mm-hmm. and so in order to be able to hit the ball the pitcher the player the batter has to have prepared from the stance of the pitcher yep. what they think the pitch is going to be yep. yeah. and they have to kind of singing, start swinging, swinging yep. before mm-hmm. the pitch is even released mm-hmm. so that's all your right brain there is yeah. no left brain available yeah if you've ever been to a batting cage and you've gone above 50, 60 miles per hour, you don't see the ball. Which I never have. I mean, which is it's crazy, amazing. right? You're just, yeah. you're swinging as you hear the ball coming yeah. down the pike. Yeah. You're swinging already where you think the ball might go. If you have any desire to hit that ball, you have to start swinging as soon as you yeah. see the ball or hear the ball. And this is, they say, the same thing, yeah. that this is the hardest thing to do in sports is to hit a baseball, yeah. which makes sense because they are successful. If you are successful, have a 300 batting average, you are among the great players yeah. of all time right. Right. and really it's much lower than that because you're fouling and those don't count yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's balls and strike there's all these things so you're only hitting really every once in a while and to me this has always been a perfect analogy for acting mm-hmm. because an actor they might sit in their trailer all day and do they nothing mm-hmm. and they wait and they wait and they wait and then they come on set and there's a hundred people staring at them and they in this one moment have to hit the ball out of the park yeah, yeah. and that is really really well, that hard was to the do quote uh, I think it was Lawrence Olivier who said, yeah. they, uh, they pay me to wait. I act for free. Right. And yeah. That's what that's I feel great. like I say that all the time too. They pay me to drive to Santa Monica. Right. <laughs> I do the acting for free right. <laughs> because those are the things that take well, the, that are the hardest. Well, and the <laughs> acting part's fun. And right. the acting part can be fun. Can, although I right. tell my actors too in my classes, you know, your creative life cannot be set on being on a set as a guest star. Right. Or, because right. you really don't get to do very much acting. Yeah. No. And you don't really get to be in the moment. I mean, you know, it's not set up that way. The the especially with television, you're lucky if you get told where the camera is. Yeah. I mean, I did an episode of CSI. No, not CSI. One of those. An an, an, an so, anagram show, NCIS. And I literally had no idea. The director just never told never me when the camera to was on me. Yeah. Never mm. told me when, where it was, and I had to cry. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I'd really love if I could just know if I really need to stick my fingers in my eyeballs again. Because, <laughs> dude, get the tear stick. Because, you know, it's an 18-hour yeah. day. Yeah. It's right. not set up for the actor. Right. So you need to get your creative juices elsewhere. To me, that's improv and comedy. Mm-hmm. That's like, you did the analogy of baseball. That's yeah. when you're in that zone and you just know what's coming before it's even coming. Yeah. That's when you feel like you've had the greatest creative and that takes training like you said it takes practice and constantly uh testing yourself and failing and succeeding mm-hmm. you're just discovering what works for you what doesn't work for you yep. and how you're going to adapt and then that's how you develop a confidence and ability to do it when you get on the set and because you're going to have to knock it out of the park sometimes more than once yeah right on the same set but anyway where is all this leading to Steve? so so <laughs> this, this, 
is funny. So this is the exactly this is exactly why I wanted to have Vicky on, and this is exactly why we have to force ourselves to stop and talk about yeah. the 1984 film Ghostbusters. <laughs> I, I how many minutes in? Ten minutes in? Yeah. That's okay. I love how that's how we got to the movie. Uh, right. uh, it was not it was not the smoothest of transitions, but we got there anyway. No. So uh, this Vicky, is stop talking. Got it. Um, <laughs> no, that's no. Not no, I know. I'm joking. Um, uh, so Ghostbusters, which if for me, I actually think this film is like the culmination of all of the comedy of the movement of comedy that started in the early 70s mm. with Second City mm-hmm. and the National Lampoon. And those things come together. And that's where all these people come from is Second City and National Lampoon. And they come together in the National Lampoon stage show, which then and then it comes together, of course, more famously in Saturday Night Live and Second City. And all of this is I think this is the peak of that wave mm. is Ghostbusters. Okay. I think it's it's one of the most successful comedies of all time, and I think after Ghostbusters is where that's going to go downhill. That style of comedy. I thought I read that it was like the first action comedy. Yeah, mm. I was, was thinking like, about this too. Yeah, that it was the it was kind of the creator of the action based comedies. Well, wow. both this and Beverly Hills Cop come out the same year, oh, and really? I think they're both. I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, and I think they're both very much doing. They're very different films, but yeah. they both combine that action comedy thing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which is ironic because Eddie Murphy was offered the part of Winston he was. and turned it down oh, I'd to, to yeah. be in Beverly Hills Cop yeah. because they offered him a vehicle. And why wouldn't you? It's a vehicle. You're the lead. You take that and see how far you can well, go with it. Wasn't it written for John Belushi? It, well, no, the, uh, the, original, Bill Murray the original part, was the Bill, Murray, the Bill Murray part was written for yeah, John sorry, Belushi. Sorry, I meant one yeah, of the roles. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And um, it was supposed to be John Belushi. Uh, uh, and then um, John Candy. John Candy, John Candy was going to play Rick quit. Moranis. Rick Moranis. He was yeah. hired to play. He was it. never hired, but he. They were talking to him. They had oh. done storyboards with him. Yeah. And at the end, John, Candy wanted to do it with like a German accent. A German accent and dogs. Yeah. And and Reitman <laughs> finally went. I think we're not talking about the same movie. Yeah. And I can't. I love John Candy, mm-hmm. but I cannot I can't imagine. imagine. Rick Moranis is so He's good. So yeah. Genius in that yeah. movie. Yeah. He's really the like that role. You could go so wrong and be so charactery mm-hmm. or as like we say at Leslie Kahn, go to the character store and pick an <laughs> idea of a person and put them on. And man, is he not that he's yeah. so genius in that role. I couldn't even, I've forgotten how much I love him in that. Gee, I think all I got is a C-to-cellic acid generic. See, I can get 600 tablets of that for the same price as 300 of a name brand. That makes good financial sense, good advice. Hey, this is real smoked salmon from Nova Scotia, Canada, $24.95 a pound. It only cost me $14.12 after tax, though. I'm giving this whole thing as a promotional expense. That's why I invited clients instead of friends. You having a good time, Mark? I always think about this is that there are actors, like if you write a scene and then you have an actor do it, you're ho- a lot of times you're hoping, please come up to the scene. Please mm. get it. Yeah. Mm. And, then some, and then when someone does get it, oh, you got everything that I intended with the scene's great. Right. But that is not what you want. What you want is someone to plus it. That they come in and discover all these things and teach you all these things and create all these moments. And man, Rick Moranis. He was amazing. Every moment there's a thing going on. There's a gesture. There's a noise. There's a look. That's just hilarious. I heard that, I read rather that Bill Murray literally said not one scripted line. You want this body? Is this a trick question? I guess the roses work, huh? Take me now, sub-creature. We never talk anymore. I make it a rule never to get involved with possessed people. 
Actually, it's more of a guideline than a rule. You know, I can... I want you inside me. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I can't. Sounds like you got at least two people in there already. Might be a little crowded. Yeah, that a majority of his lines were improvised or ad-libbed uh, throughout the film, and that's amazing. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, certainly the script was loose. I mean, they were yeah. ad-libbing a lot. Yeah, yeah. And these are guys that came out of Second City, yeah. and they mm-hmm. all worked together. I mean, right. They all yeah. knew each other really well. Um, it's funny. So the originally the original treatment, which Dan Aykroyd wrote for him and Belushi, was in the future. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was sounded like it would cost like a hundred million dollars then in yeah. 1984. It was uh, ghosts were all over the place. There were teams of all sorts of Ghostbusters. It was a normal profession, it was like a franchise. It was, yeah, <laughs> and, and and they were just one of many sets of Ghostbusters. The Stafe book Marshall Mellow Man happened in Act One, wow. and and Reitman very smartly went. This is a brilliant idea. He didn't say this, but this script is terrible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then he and Ramis and uh, Aykroyd meet for three weeks in Martha's Vineyard to come up with a new script. Must be nice. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Not a bad way to go. <laughs> Just not up. bad at all. <laughs> uh, but Reitman, and Reitman uh, does such a really good job with this film as a director. The pacing, the action scenes, uh, the movements within the comedy and the buttons that he provides uh, throughout the film. And in getting these performances out of these actors and not just... Bill Murray, uh, 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 Dan Aykroyd, Hale Ramis, Ernie Hudson, and Rick Moranis, and Sigourney Weaver, but also William Atherton. The, also, the among character the great actors. assholes Annie of, Potts. All, yes. of all film. Annie right. Potts. Oh, Annie God. Potts, yeah. right. All the, great, all the great character actors that litter the film, but then also the New York vibe. I think that's mm-hmm. what's so amazing going back and rewatching. I haven't seen Ghostbusters in like two or three years. And watching it again for this yeah. podcast, you get that New York vibe. And I think a director, it's one of the positive things that a director understands when he's doing a film is how to create the atmosphere so that the audience is immediately feels like it's sitting in the room with you right mm-hmm. no matter where they're being shot or yeah. outside in the room with you, outside in the scene I mean, with you it is funny though when i watch these older movies you know there was so much because it's in like an hour and 45 minutes yeah. which you know is not a short movie right. it's not titanic but but the 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 pacing of like one of the opening shots where they have the the camera and the dog you know and it's kind of yeah. foreshadowing yeah. that but it's like so slow. Mm. I'm like my, you know, I've watched movies like this with my niece who's 15 and she's like, I'm bored. Yes. And it's, you know, they, there was like a breath that was allowed in yep. movies then. And mm-hmm. maybe I'm just missing it now. But it's like with this age in this era, we don't, we don't have time. It's like, come on. Okay, we got it. The dog. But, but move on. Yeah, yeah we, t- we talked about this a lot when we talked about Superman is mm. paces have changed. Yeah. And I think. I mean, like, there was a time when they said, oh, it's the MTV generation. Well, that was 25 years ago. And now we're in an even faster pace, yeah. which is the YouTube. Like, you're, you're on Facebook. You're watching. Someone has a link to a movie. You click on it. If that's not entertaining you within eight One seconds. Yeah. <laughs> not a minute. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's like 10, 15 seconds. Like, nope. Yeah. yeah. It's true. It's the Vine culture yeah it's yeah. like 30 what's 30 seconds is that the vine uh, vines are six seconds six seconds. almost the same see how i make things bigger <laughs> the six seconds yeah the snapchats can be 10 to 15 seconds instagram can be 30 seconds it's crazy to me and that's i mean that's out. what the, that's what we're working mm-hmm. with i mean i watch i do try to make my niece watch older movies with me to kind of go like and there are times where i go woof yeah that did yeah. not Pay, that was not that did not hold up yeah this i thought ghostbusters really did hold up i mean there were definitely slow pacing to me right. even where i kind of went okay we could probably we get it we're in the library <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there's a lot of library builds at that beginning yeah but 
I, overall, I thought it was, you know, I still just charming and lovely. And mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny. It's, th- there are things that you can't get with a fast pace. Like, mm. you right. cannot, like... It's hard to do creepy in a fast pace. Yeah, true. true. You know, creepy takes a little time. Yeah. You got to be in the library. And, and the thing, too, because this is a horror action comedy. Yeah. And uh, is that you want to, they do a really good job of honoring the horror element. Like, they, they, it's, and I remember being actually scared when I first saw it. Mm. I mean, I came out when I was in high school and pretty much everyone saw this movie yeah. mm-hmm. when I was in high school. This was just, you had to go see it. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't like horror movies, by the way, because no, they frighten me. <laughs> Um, and I don't understand. Yeah, what the, I don't understand choosing uh, to be frightened. Why would I want to have okay. that feeling? No, I'm the odd man out here. Then no, there, well, it's funny. There's all sorts of studies about what that does to your endorphins and what. And, oh, really? And it might be that there's a brain thing that Vicky and I don't have. Yeah, definitely. That you do have because there's a uh, there's an endorphin release that you might be getting after the horror that I'm just still frightened. Yeah, I don't know? ever get the release. I just yeah. stay in the horror part, but, and then yeah. I have nightmares and it's no fun. But I actually think. Not not the old lady, but when they see the the big scare in the library sequence yeah. when yeah. they come in, that scared the crap out of me. Oh, yeah. No, that was that was a great build up though. I mean, having them kind of try and to it talk to, be to slow it to build and that, that up. part, mm-hmm. I'll take. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the the minute and a half of her walking with right. the books oh, and the thing yeah, before yeah. we get to the basement, and then she walks to the basement, and there was a lot of build up to the to the books floating across, right. and mm-hmm. it was like. Oh, I felt like that was a long time <laughs> for yeah. my yeah. you know I just feel like that's an era thing that's like an 80s movie yeah, thing they right. just let you do things slowly I just watched Pretty in Pink again the other day oh wow I was Pretty in Pink I love that movie so much <laughs> oh yeah. my god I do love that movie so much I gotta say it's one of my favorite girls so, like, it's so funny because that film is the last gasp of the John Hughes yeah. stuff I know it's the last great gasp of the John Hughes teen comedies so or whatever you want to say but yeah but I think what you're saying Vicky is a very great point like when you go back and revisit these 80s films it's we have a, such a nostalgic attachment to them yeah. that we can watch those things and aesthetically understand wait that's a long time or that's thing. but we also but it doesn't take away our reverence from the film you can understand it's some of its flaws in 2016 eyes but still remember it 1984 eyes and how much you enjoyed it because I for me it's real as I've been going deeper and deeper into this hosting all these movies shows and stuff of that nature uh, you have to go back and watch some of these older films to kind of talk about them and it was really hard to go back uh, and watch a little bit of this because uh Bill Murray is kind of an asshole, and yeah. he's kind not of kinda. a sociopath. He's an like he's really much like yeah. all about himself, or a nar- oh, yeah. a nar- what are they, a narcissist? Right, the stuff he does where he is electrocuting this poor guy, oh, yeah. just so he can mack this student. He's yeah. a teacher yep. at a college, macking a blonde student. She is very pretty. She, well, it's fair, <laughs> absolutely true. But and he really doing. wasn't. So I'm just saying, ugly people should get shocked. You I know what I mean? So. <laughs> <laughs> well said. But that's a comedy. Bill Murray, but Bill Murray's not that pretty either. Right. So. You know what? That's, face I was what thinking that very thing. I was like, he really has just the swag, man. Mm-hmm. His confidence yeah. Oh, yeah. far outshines his pockmarked face. Yeah. Like you, I was thinking that last night. I'm like, he's really attractive, but not physically. Well, I think, but I think that's Bill Murray. Uh, of all those early Saturday Night Live people, yeah. he's such a peculiar one because he has a persona that remains mm-hmm. in, a, in most of his stuff that is this arrogant mm-hmm. kind of asshole self-involved Who disconnected yeah. and yet lovable person yeah scrooged come on yeah, yeah. All he, the, um, he's the uh, um, he's the relatable Chevy Chase 
That's what I say. Because mm-hmm. Chase is an arrogant, cocky guy, believes in his humor as well. But Chase knows it. And there's a diff- and wants you to know that he knows you're not as good as he is. He's also not is more- sexy at all. Well, right. Chevy Chase? Well, at people, all. A lot of women thought he was sexy coming out of Fletch. Did- a lot oh, well, of women. nope. You're right. In yep. Fletch, Fletch he, he was is, sexy. He's you're sexy right. in Fletch. You're I right. love Fletch. Yeah. yeah, I do too. You're right. Yeah, That's but, where he but, was sexy. Yeah, but there's the difference. Go figure. Right? But Bill he's Murray's sexy. been sexy in everything. Yes, agree. MASH. He just has this MASH? thing. No. No, no. Stripes. Stripes. Yeah, remember him in MASH? He was really good. He was hanging out with Hawkeye and DJ. Oh, my God. That was. <laughs> yeah but Ramis does a great job here I mean I think Ramis is for me is the sweetheart of the film he yeah. just is like he he's just this nerd lovable nerd has, he's not excitable like Aykroyd it's a different kind of nerd he just has his thing you know and you enjoy going with him and the burgeoning love affair between him and Annie Potts which I think doesn't happen because it in doesn't the second happen. one it's no. her and Moranis in the second one I yeah, think isn't that's it that's right yeah and so and, but you see the possibilities of that and we go oh that'd be a nice very handy, I can tell. I bet you like to read a lot, too. Print is dead. Oh, that's very fascinating to me. I read a lot myself. Some people think I'm too intellectual, but I think it's a fabulous way to spend your spare time. I also play racquetball. Do you have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. I read um, that Harold Ramis wasn't going to act in this. No, he wrote it. And he, said he wrote no, it and but just then he couldn't realized, find anybody. Right. Well, then he realized he's probably the best person to play. Well, and right, and, and right, and so smartly said, "No, no, you got to do it." Yeah. yeah. He also apparently made the choice to never smile as that character. Wow. And when I read that and then watched it, I'm like, "Yep, never, not one time, not in the whole movie does he smile." It, it, it's a great character he yeah. creates, mm-hmm. and it's a great juxtaposition of nerd Harold Ramis versus nerd Dan Aykroyd yeah. because they're completely different yeah. and they make a great team. I'm worried, Ray. It's getting crowded in there and all my recent data points to something big on the horizon. What do you mean the big? Well, let's say this Twinkie represents the normal amount of psychokinetic energy in the New York area. According to this morning sample, it would be a Twinkie... 35 feet long, weighing approximately 600 pounds. <coughs> That's a big Twinkie. We could be on the verge of a fourfold cross rip, a PKE surge of incredible, even dangerous proportions. Interesting, too, the, the way the movie's structured. Obviously, we don't even know if Bill Murray knows anything about anything. I don't think no. he does. And yet, he is the leader of yes. these two guys who apparently... As he should be. Yeah, because <laughs> they shouldn't be the leader. No. Uh, it's funny with Aykroyd, because Aykroyd believes in all this stuff, for yeah. real. Yes, Aykroyd his family believes, is, like, very... Yeah. Like there are spirits and there's yeah. ectoplasm and it's been proven with the quantum physics of the space between then. It's like, this is all true. Yeah. And so, and which is great because, and, and Reitman says this, is that nobody could deliver those lines like Aykroyd. Right. Because when he's saying, this is obviously because of the 5th century BC, whatever he's saying. He means it. He means it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's very serious to him. Yeah. Oh, you mean as a person? No, as yeah, a person. in his life. In his oh, life. I didn't know that. His family, like, Back generations that like he had an, a grandfather who was like a ghost hunter wow. or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, this he's is... got like this is why he wrote it. Oh wow! Well, and what's interesting that. is okay. that for Aykroyd and and Aykroyd's sort of a, also a fascinating person in the Saturday Night Live because mm-hmm. he's always kind of a second banana. Yeah, but yeah. A, but very funny and and one of the big writers. Very ripe banana. 
Very ripe second yeah, banana. Yeah, and <laughs> exactly. And and he does this thing, which is he normally, if someone believes a thing that generally society doesn't believe a thing, they would be defensive, and the last thing they would want to do is make comedy around it. Right. And Aykroyd is does believe this thing to mm-hmm. some degree. We not maybe not everything that's in the movie, sure. but totally knows where the comedy is mm-hmm. about the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But without, but without erasing the believability of the thing, right? And I think that's what uh, they do a great job. What you were talking about the scare at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so funny. The scare at the beginning actually works. I like you. I was scared out of my mind in that moment when a thing comes out. Yeah, you're like freaking out, and then it's followed by the song. You know, yeah, it's like it does it just enough to get you in the oh, vibe, and then the comedy the song, comes in. Apparently, right. they asked Huey Lewis to do it. And he said no. And then Ray Parker Jr. wrote it like 24 hours before the deadline or something. And then he was sued by Huey Lewis because uh, he said it was plagiarized from I Want a New Drug. And if you listen to that, it's similar. It's very similar. Which song am I doing? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I remember Mind Blown Emoji. Yes. That song was played so much. Oh yeah. You mm-hmm. t- if you were if you were alive in the 80s, you hated that song so much. <laughs> oh, so much. It was so it's just like please stop. Please stop. Mm. And there would be people because it became this movie became a phenomenon yeah. in a way people are in the outfits, they're seeing they mm-hmm. have ghost parties and like I mean this was a big well, big Well, you deal. know what's so just to bring that around because I feel like it was such an iconic movie, right? Mm-hmm. Because we it was new, the whole kind of sci-fi comedy stuff was new and everybody yep. was like, "What?" And and but then I watched a movie and I and it's charming and mm-hmm. sweet and lovely yeah. and it's not you know Casablanca, it's no. not like why everybody's freaking out about it being remade is confusing to me because oh, it's yeah. not. Let's talk about that. This big, you know what I'm saying? It like if somebody some, went it to must make be to some people. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying that it's not iconic. I think it is. But mm-hmm. when you watch Casablanca, yeah. I can't imagine how you could ever reboot. Right. I just can't even imagine it. Ghostbusters absolutely can see how it could be rebooted. Right. I, reboot, by the way. What is that? It's remade. Remade. Why are we saying reboot? You're, like you're That's a fancy word. I know, but that's what everybody's saying. The reboot of whatever. I'm like, well... It's one of these industry terms that gets that people start using that just kind of piss me off. Yeah, yeah because they don't want to say copy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, to me, it's a perfect thing to be rebooted because... Okay, it's a story of comedy and ghosts. Mm-hmm. Yes. And people fighting ghosts. Great. We could do tons of stories yeah. that are about that thing. It's not like we run out, you know. Yeah, it, and it, the fact that they do women to me is the smartest thing because mm-hmm. then you're not directly comparing like who are you going to cast as Bill Murray? You know right. what I mean? And then you're going to get a direct comparison of like that right. guy is no Bill Murray. Right. You you get somebody who's, you know, of the other gender, you're not going to have that. You're going to have a whole different and yet, that is exactly what's happening. That of is, course pers- it is. yeah. That yeah. That, 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 <clears throat> that although I think that might have been the theory, what is in fact happening is you're no Bill Murray, you know? right? Which is which is interesting because none of the characters who's supposed to be Bill Murray, that's Melissa what I'm McCarthy. None, none yeah. of the characters really do evoke the essence of the characters that they're supposedly being modeled after from the first film. Uh, uh, I imagine Kate McKinnon is supposed to be Egon. That is not... Is the only she? thing that's coming through is the know. glasses. And Kate, uh, and uh, Melissa McCarthy is supposed to be, I think, Acro- the Bill Murray. Oh, I thought she was I think she's supposed to be, supposed to be the... You know, maybe she is, but, but I only say that because uh, we, Kristen Wiig looks so out of her element through the whole thing, so they kind of turn this idea that she's a, a, um, a professor of this paranormal stuff 
and made her a little more uh, nerdy about it, whereas Murray was more of the swagger yeah. charm. And that just makes all kinds of sense. Mc- Melissa McCarthy just has this natural energy to be a leader. Yes. And you see her on screen. She has this energy to be. So it makes sense to make her the leader of the team. Well, but this is the point. It's like, and, and then you have Leslie Jones, who's a complete the, other person than, than Ernie Hudson was. Yeah. She's, she's, uh, she's opinionated. She's loud. She's, yeah. you know, she takes control of situations. She's not brought in halfway through the movie because right. Eddie Murphy said no. Right. And Ernie, <laughs> and, <by the> way, <laughs> Ernie Hudson, just to digress, because I want to yeah. talk about the new movie too, but I always go, why is Ernie Hudson in this movie? Yeah. I, I I like him. He's fine. Yeah. But it's a weird thing to bring in a guy halfway through a, halfway movie, through a movie who is not at the comedic stature of everybody at else, all. Right. but sort of is a partner. Yeah. But also to make three into four. I mean, just comedically, three is always better. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, why would I'm, you add a fourth? Yeah, the the only thing I could think is that they wanted to say to show how busy they were and right. how you know, the business was growing so much that they but, had to get a fourth person. But they person. give him full stature at the climax. <laughs> right. As yeah. this is one of the guys. Yeah. But I think it's also because he's in no, every No disrespect to Ernie Hudson, no, by the way. Not. He's no. good in the movie. No, but I think he's, he's brought in because he symbolizes an everyman type of thing. Like yeah. these other guys are all scientists. Right. True. So you have an everyman and you bring him in and you, you make him black. It's New York. That's logical. Yeah. And you but you don't ever but you don't make him like he's not gangster black. He's not gang black. He's a regular dude trying to work and trying yeah. to make a living. And they do and get a few good jokes and exposition out yes. of him with, you know, the light is green. The trap is clean. And he yeah. goes, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> you know, and just because yeah. it is funny to see this guy brought into this world right I, it, but it's also a strange choice i think yeah because it isn't from the beginning yeah and it's that's literally a good point halfway you make. through yeah halfway through so we've already found our focal point mm-hmm. into the movie why do we need ernie yeah but i think ernie kind of rounds out the team because it makes it a little more of a like let me tell you what the everman would say at this yeah. moment or it's like when he says i've seen shit that'll make you turn white you know yeah. you get the joke yeah but it's just that kind of thing kind of give him like this is how every person would speak also you know? i get the sense sometimes that they're throwing him a joke you know like the yeah. absolutely the, 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 the uh when someone asks you if you're a god you say yes <laughs> he did it's, not do the, that yeah well i mean it's like it's funny it's a very funny line right? it would have been it so been, much funnier from bill, bill murray's bill mouth murray, yeah it seems like that should be bill it, murray's i line. think it was his line i have a feeling it was and they just did one take where he took it but man i was like oh man i, I knew it was coming and i went please tell me bill murray says that because that and nope like i remembered the Apparently, there's like three lines from this movie, and I remembered them mm-hmm. as they happened. I said right. them at the same time that are like in the top 100 best lines, of, yeah. and they're yeah. all, of course, Bill Murray's improvised. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cats and dogs living together. Yeah. Or you could accept the fact that this city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? 
free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Back to the current film. Um, uh, it, what, what's sad to me is about what's happened because there's been all this controversy and can women play these roles mm. is that it comes from a you know century long tradition certainly in the last 30 40 years of are women funny mm -hmm. and a lot of 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 disrespect and a lot of prejudice like you know john belushi was convinced that women were not funny yeah. so and ridiculous. told and he, surrounded by gilda radner yeah and, he, he, and jane curtin grudgingly <laughs> admitted that gilda radner was a little funny and then told jane curtin and lorraine newman well, women aren't funny. You're not funny. Yeah. Over and over again. You know, like, and this was, and so we come off of that. Like, what was Lucio Ball? I know it's crazy. No, it's crazy. Sorry. It's 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 absolutely ridiculous. Or 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 uh, Gracie Allen's. Yeah, Allen. sure. Go all the way back there, right? You know, there's so many great comedian comedians. Yeah. Even Fanny Bryce on stage. Yeah. Um, and, and and then you get to this place where it's like there's so few opportunities for women to do comedy, and now here comes along this. And because it is a beloved thing, that there's all this pressure mm -hmm. that it must succeed. Yeah. And, and, and it's essentially set up for failure. Because the reality is comedy is hard. Most yeah. comedy does not work. Hmm. And the fact whether this movie works or doesn't work says nothing about whether or not women are funny. It no. just says whether or not this movie works or right. doesn't work. Right. You know? and that, but now, right now, there's this laser-like focus on the success of this film. Well, I think... Well... Do you want to speak to this first before no, I do? Okay. I, I, I just mean, you're like, a woman. Go. <laughs> Let me tell you. No, <laughs> having done all, uh, having been more ensconced in the last few months in all these shows and in the geek culture and what have you, I just think this has come. This is the what are they? The zenith. This is the, all this anger that's been bubbling under the surface with the nerds and the geeks about all of us about uh, uh, this idea that are. They're being force-fed women leads in Star Wars, in Mad Max. Like, they're permeating Ugh. these properties. The, this is where it's been building to. And then Ghostbusters was the explosion. Mm -hmm. Ghostbusters was the final end, uh, straw that broke the camel's back. Let them all vent their anger. I mean, you have online critics saying they won't review the film because, what? yes, one very famous online critic came out and said, I will not review this film because I refuse to participate in the women being made, the, the, and, the and the trailers look stupid, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, your job is to review films. Like, if you're making a point, it's a very sexist stand to take. It's and I don't yeah. like the I'll Senate saying we're not going uh, to. Uh uh, to a thing, a committee on this uh, Supreme Court nominee. Right. It's like you can say no. Right. You can not like the film. Right. Say, right. But review just, it. Just review That's it. Your job. Well, yeah. it's the same thing. It's like me saying I'm not going to watch the Uncle Buck remake on TV as a, as a TV critic because I don't like to use all black people. It's all of it is just right. to me. It's ridiculous. Well, and this film was not that amazing that people need to go nuts but I think because you have these two central nerds in Egon and in the Dan Aykroyd character people love this idea Bill Murray too but people love this they, they revere this film for whatever reason but I don't remember it being this amazing pop culture phenomenon in the zeitgeist it, it was I really yeah. think that it was well okay. I think it was but I what I'm trying to separate is the genius of the film versus the film's 
timing in the zeitgeist. Right. Yeah. You know, That's it was... <clears throat> sorry, I got a little frog. Mm. Um, there are films that you just that are just geniusly made that I don't think you can remake without, without the director, the same Agreed. director and whatever. And this film, like I said, was charming and fun and lovely. And you know, the site, let's be honest with the, the, the special effects. <laughs> Lord. I mean, you could practice least. Yeah, yeah. You could see the green screen. Yeah. Um, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I go, don't touch that. Yeah. I go, great. Let's see some new people in that same experience. Although that being said, I did watch the trailer. Apparently, it's in the top 100 yeah. most disliked things on YouTube. It's the top. The no, trailer. I mean of all time. Oh, of all time. Okay. Fair <clears throat> enough. And yeah. it's the only trailer yeah. in that 100. Yeah. Um, I didn't think it was that bad. I was like, I mean, it seemed not as funny as I hope, but trailers suck. There's very few trailers well, for comedies. Awesome trailers do not mean good movies. Nope. Very, very, very frequently, awesome trailers mean the you said you saw it all. Yeah. The awesomeness was in the trailer. Yeah. But also, um, you know, I watched it and I'm like, well, it looks a lot like the like. Yeah, that's the mistake. That's they made where in the I trailer. feel like like even the ghosts look the same. And I'm like, hey, guys, we kind of we have new technology. Yeah. Well, this is the weird thing of all of these uh, re remakes is this need to we have to service the old. We have to do fan service on the old and do new. And you're trying to balance this. Yeah. And you have 900 different executives that are pressuring yeah. the, the property to and all these people giving notes, which is the world's worst thing for yeah. comedy. Mm -hmm. Like comedy in particular it needs to be free to be what it is, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, and stay stay away from it. Like, there's not a lot of comedy that comes out of the corporate machine. No. Like, most great comedy comes out of, no one cared about Saturday Night Live in 1974. Nope. It was a, it was not prime time. There was right. literally, it was going not ready against, for prime time either. Not ready no. for prime time. <laughs> it's literally going up against the late, late movie. There's nobody yeah. paying attention to it. And that's why it could be what it could be. Right. Same with National Lampoon. <laughs> Same with, you know, there's, it's that, you know, Lenny Bruce is off in San Francisco smoking weed when he's mm -hmm. coming up with these things. Comedy doesn't come out of the mainstream in general. There are well, exceptions I, to that. Well, you know, it's interesting because I've been super bummed that that's the truth lately because my ideal world is that I'm on a sitcom. Yeah. And like old school sitcom. Right. Four um, cameras and... Oh, yeah. And in fact, um, my friend is on... Norman Lear is doing a reboot. Yes. Of One Day at a Time with a oh, Latin really? family. Oh, Yeah. That my friend is um, show running, wow. and I'm one of my best friends is is the Schneider character. Oh yeah! But they completely everybody flipped out about the Schneider yes. character was such an iconic, and they've made him a totally different. Like he's a hipster right. who's like parents own the building. It's a whole different vibe. But they do two shows every Tuesday night. They have a live audience. Wow. It's like a four o'clock show, dinner, a seven o'clock show. It's wow. like my dream. Yeah. But those are not the shows that are funny anymore. I haven't seen that oh. one. I, I'm sure this will be funny, but I'm saying like the ones on television that are the multicam, they're not yeah. to me. The best shows are like catastrophe on Amazon. Do you watch catastrophe? Oh, catastrophe I haven't watched yeah. it. Oh, you haven't watched it. No, it's, I think one of the funniest, it's only 12 mm -hmm. episodes in mm -hmm. two seasons, which is sad, right. which is another thing though. Yeah. I mean, it's easier to be funny when you have to write six episodes. Right. And not, you know, 26 <laughs> That's episodes. That's good. That's a good point. But, so I just, but yeah. I think even with six episodes, two broke girls wouldn't be good. I just want that clear. I just want that clear. <laughs> I have a feeling this, that the... you might be right. 
and that's my point. Like that's the bummer is I feel like yeah. I forgot where we started this because I have ADD and I totally that's all right tripped out. Um, at we were the end talking of about uh, uh, comedy com- not coming from the mainstream, right? Yeah. So catastrophe being an example. They went to London. It's very much not the mainstream. Mm-hmm. You know, transparent. All these transparent is amazing things that are not the mainstream, yeah. and they're given a lot of freedom. I think um, audience surveys are were the death of good oh, yeah. anything. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's funny that, that Saturday Night Live and National Lampoon and Second City, which start as not the mainstream, yeah. in this moment, in Ghostbusters, they are the mainstream. Yeah. And maybe that's why, in my mind, this is the peak, and then it goes down from there. Because mm-hmm. you can't be the mainstream. I mean, I, you know, we've said this before. Is like I think that people only stay funny at the peak of their game for a few movies. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of people. It's like four. You know, and you know, and, and there are people like Eddie Murphy, like Bill Murray, who you're like, well, they can't. They're going to go on forever. They're the most. And then, of course, few few movies later, you're down to oh, they're not working anymore. Yeah. Well, and, but you know, I think that has to do more with that. Comedy is about surprise. Yeah. And once you've seen somebody do their thing in five movies, you're not surprised anymore. Right. And that so it's not as funny. But I do think like Bill Murray has. He's still going strong. Right, but yeah. he, had to, he had to reinvent himself. <clears throat> yes, it's he true. Had, he had to stop being, you know, he had to do Rushmore, which is very funny. Which is, yeah. he's amazing. Amazing. And St. Francis, what's the... Yeah, the other one, yeah, that came out just recently, a couple of years ago, yeah. What? It's good. St. Vincent. St. Vincent. Oh, St. Vincent, right. Uh, Bill Murray's... Let's talk about Bill Murray let's. a little bit. Because <laughs> he's... Cause, so if, if, if you look at all the material about the movie that I could find, yeah. there's interviews with Aykroyd and Ramis, and there's interviews with Rick Moranis talks and Sigourney Weaver, who we also need to talk about, mm-hmm. by yes, the way. Yes, we should. Because she's amazing. But she's part. a woman, so whatever. Oh, actually, <laughs> fair point. Um, uh, but Bill Murray appears in nothing. You never, yeah. He never does an interview about these things. And he's become this weird, spectral figure... Like that appears and disappears. Like mm-hmm. I mean, he's such a odd. He did person. do a quote about the new one. Yeah. Oh, really? What did yeah. he say? Yeah. It was like yesterday yeah, that he he was on Kimmel. With, oh, yeah. yeah. With with the whole crew, Ernie Hudson, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, they had both the Annie old Potts. and the new. Oh, yeah. what did he say? Uh, I have to look. I don't remember because it wasn't specific. It was <laughs> of like, course. yeah, like Dan Aykroyd did a quote that was also like the ending will blow your mind or something right. like that or it's a charming lovely film and the end is he said some big word like genius or right. mind-blowing or something right. and then uh bill murray basically said yeah it's good <laughs> i mean he didn't <laughs> want to commit one way or the other but he basically said if i don't say anything people are gonna assume i hate it yeah right so at least he said something but yes he is he's he doesn't have an agent he doesn't he doesn't he like you have to call his lawyer it's like right. a one eight hundred number, and then you could get a script to him, and but he only may or may, with mail. No, only he will not mail. do anything yeah. electronically, and you may or may not ever hear from him, and you yeah. might hear from him a year later. Yeah. yeah, you know, and then he will say either I'll do your movie or who will. He's a very strange man. He's yeah. a strange man, but I think he's a, still a genius. Oh, I, I agree. I will watch him do anything. I just wonder what would have happened if Wes Anderson hadn't shown up in his career at the time, oh, but he yeah. did. I think Wes Anderson is. Is the second life that that got breathed in? It's like Tarantino. For sure. I was going to say people like don't talk about Travolta. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. He does that uh, with a number of character, uh, actors. Tarantino does, but so uh, I think that's what West did with with uh, 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 with Bill because he he gave him an opportunity to expand to play his humor mm-hmm. as it was meant to be. And Bill's humor has always been 
this vulnerable, painful humor combined with this kind of smart alecky, grinny thing. But always underneath, there's this pain, you know. Mm-hmm. And not just the standard stuff that you hear. Where, oh, comedians, oh, they operate from pain. Now, there's always something more going on with Bill that's a little more human. Yeah. And I think that's what you enjoy. And when you see him in the Wes Anderson films, that's his humor to its fullest. Yeah. It's yeah. fullest expression, in my opinion. And he's great in, in Ghostbusters. But like you see, you mentioned Scrooge earlier. Scrooge. Scrooge. That Scrooge end is great. <clears throat> monologue oh. is one of the most amazing monologues ever delivered. I uh, period. completely agree. Right? And it's so moving. And this is a comedy. And he's crying. And he's legit. In it. Yeah. yeah. And his, I just, yeah, his brother and yeah. the whole storyline. I wonder if Wes Anderson didn't get his ideas from seeing that because that sure. was kind of a bridge to yeah, yeah. his dramatic abilities sure um now dan Aykroyd, yes. not such a good actor <laughs> no let's be honest well i'm sure he's a lovely person I say he's not a good actor i would say that he just works he's a worker he's yeah a but i mean i'm watching ghostbusters and i'm like you know he's saying lines and he's doing a fine job <laughs> I but love this. like there's no there there the way that there is in moments but not consistently i, I feel like mm. he kind of Falls I don't away think he's from it. deep. I don't think there's. I think there's a surface, and mm. I think in the movies that are good, that works. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm playing this thing, right? And there's not, and there's not a lot underneath it. Like no. you watch what he does in Blues Brothers, you watch the characters he played on Saturday Night Live, mm. and it is sort of here's, you know, he maybe he went to the character store. I think he did a little, you know, and, and when that character that he picked wit works, and he is this peculiar. You know where I think he really works, by the way, is Gross Point Blank. Oh, he's great in Gross Point so Blank. So good in Gross Point Blank. I don't so remember. funny. He's the other assassin. He's, he's the guy. To he's kill, the bad guy that, yeah. that is trying to kill. I wonder if I've never seen this movie. Oh man. Oh, I feel like I've I know it enough, yeah. but I you don't should, think I've seen it. It's but your, isn't it violent? It there is there's a couple moments. There's a, but it's okay. not anything too. There's actually one of uh, what I will consider as a big martial arts fan, yeah. a fantastic fight scene with Benny the Jet Orquidez and John Cusack, who study kickboxing. You know kickboxing's yeah. part of the future. Well say anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Love. Yeah, which is a great movie. Another yeah. asshole comedian, right? Is John, John Cusack, Cusack is supposed, he supposed to be just a big be? asshole? Or am I, I thinking that. of Jeremy Piven, yes. his best friend? That is definitely about. supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, I've, heard, I've heard some really Mr. Mercury horrible stories. Yeah. Um, uh, so on that note, <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying these <laughs> yeah. men who can be funny, and that is actually, you know, we're going. Sorry to go deep, yeah. but you know, there's a whole thing about the cu- culture of women in comedy. Not oh. just are we funny, but also are we being basically sexually harassed out of oh, yeah. continuing to be in oh, comedy. Yeah. I mean, I've been talking lately because there was, I don't know if you guys, one of the heads of the, um, <clears throat> one of the comedy uh, okay. places here uh, mm-hmm. was fired for oh. sexual harassment. Oh yeah, I saw that. And Are we not allowed to say the person's name? Well, I don't know. Okay, fair enough. I, I just. Oh, okay. It's just a weird, I don't know. Yeah. Gotcha. But here's what I'll say that there's been, 20 years of accusations apparently and no action and you know bill cosby how many years of accusations and no action and so i i was teaching one of my classes and we were doing improv and i i was talking to one of the actors after and i said why did you not like it felt like you were not kind of going the way the scene needed to go and he said, because I was conscious that, because he was playing a landlord who was in the tenant's apart, the girl mm-hmm. tenant's apartment. And he's like, I was conscious as an improviser that I could, this could turn into her seeming, feeling unsafe. 
Wow. And I was like, you have to think about that? Like, Oh, yeah. You have to think think about that that as a guy. Mm -hmm. And then one of the women in the class said, oh, I've had men slap me across the face in a scene or motorboat my boobs. And and listen, I'm all for motorboating. Sure. (laughs) Okay? It says that on your resume. It does, yeah. Motorboat specialist. But here's the thing. I feel like that is the death of comedy that you feel like you have to edit yourself or that as Mm -hmm. a person in the scene that you have to but then again if somebody feels unsafe then you know you put your i think your finger on it because this is the paradox that i think we live in in this society right now which is on the one hand we're becoming more sensitive to things we really should have fucking been sensitive to a long time decades ago women and race and sex and homosexuality and gender and all of these Mm -hmm. things that people have been so deeply and profoundly hurt by for so long and and that's great. And on the other hand, it's the death of comedy. It is. You know. Well, it's the death of a certain kind of comedy. Well, it's like if you look. Uh, there's, that's what I've I seen say. the new the National Lampoon. Rushmore doesn't do any of that, and none of Wes Anderson. Oh, of course, do any that's true. Yeah. No, um, I think it. I think what what I'm hearing you say is that when you have to edit and be aware and worry about certain, like I don't know that George Carlin, he did a lot of shit. Oh right? yeah. Right. That would. Have Pryor. been Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor, like, like all these gen- genius comedians, mm. didn't have any kind of ceiling for what they could no limit, right? And that's part of what made them. But then you got someone like Michael Richards, who's just an ass. Is, as you said, there are moments where you're in the moment of comedy, and you need to be reacting to what it is, mm. and it might not work, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to Pryor, if you listen to Carlin, if you, they they push themselves out there, and long before they got recorded, they were saying other stuff that didn't work right and and that if we take away the because today everyone in a comedy club they got their cell phone yeah that's true and that thing will will likely go on youtube and it's the and 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 so it's what i was gonna say before is the uh national lampoon documentary did you see it yes okay uh it's really interesting it's called drunk stone brilliant and dead Mm -hmm. or something like that it's about showtime a good title yeah that is a good time and what they say and accurate in in, in talking about the original national lampoon was they felt their job was to offend everybody Mm -hmm. and that there is nuns and hitler and violence and rape and dog murdering and just every horrible thing you could think of and there's part of me although i am bothered by many of those jokes that I'm glad that that exists. In the same way, I'm glad that South Park exists. But I need to you understand know? the difference here. And this is where I, like, I'm, this is my turn to walk the line, the razor edge line. I need to understand, I don't understand a comedian that makes fun of everybody and then is sensitive. It makes no I fucking agree. sense to me. And I bring Schumer up for this particular reason. Schumer makes fun of everybody and everything, races, uh, gender stuff. Everybody, mm-hmm. but you call her heavy, you call her fat, or you make a joke about her weight, you're body shaming her. Well, now, but what that's is the truth. That's what, different. I don't mean calling her a pig. I don't mean that. That's offensive. No, I know. That's incorrect. I mean, if you're making a joke, I, you know, and you think no, you're being but, funny, like, I want to understand. That's what I'm saying. I want to understand. Here's what so I think. Here's what I, I think the her. distinction I think is. I think she's brilliant. I don't. I don't. I, I saw it already with Sarah Silverman. I think she did it better. But mm, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I, don't I think they're yeah. totally different kind of comedians. Mm. I think they're both women, and they talk about sex, and that's why they get put into the same category. Which is the other thing that really bothers me is that you could hmm. also okay. what two guy comedians would you basically say? Oh well, Robin Williams made a joke about that, so I don't need to see it from you know Kevin Nealon. You never do that. We never put two comedians together that are guys and talk about their type of humor. And compare them. At least I never hear it. Not in the same way. And my problem with 
what I think Amy Schumer was simply saying is she was put. You're right. Fuck. I was just thinking Chris Rock and Chappelle. But they're not the same. But they don't compare them in the same way, right? They're different comedy. Okay. Okay. And that, that's Boom. what okay. kind of pisses me off about it. Thank is you. That, I get that. Well, no. Okay. Thank you for getting it. Well, I mean. No, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. And so what Amy Schumer was coming out against or about was the cover of a magazine that said plus size women. Oh, right. Yes. That's a separate thing. And she was simply, what I thought she was saying was, why do we have to be any something women? Right. Why does it have to be about our weight? Why do we always get put into categories with who wore it better? Right. And it's all about, you know, like this is not, she's not a model. Yeah. She's not Kendall Jenner or whoever the fuck those people are. <laughs> right. She's not put in the, she's not in the fashion world. Like right. why is her body any part of the conversation? Because Chris well, Rock has never talked about. No, you're right. Nope. These no guy comedians, nobody carpet. ever talks about no the guys. On the carpet, like, yeah, they mm. do sometimes ask the guys what they're wearing. But nobody, Jared Leto, he would be the exception. You know, yeah. the, the, if you watch, there's a great documentary called Misrepresentation, which is all about this. It's like, mm. nobody's talking about uh, uh, Bernie Sanders' bad hair, but they do talk about Hillary Clinton's bad hair yeah. right. all the time. Right. No one talks about what kind of a grandfather Bernie Sanders is, but they do talk about... Hillary Clinton as well, a mother, and how about as this, a grandmother. Uh, yeah. How about this, uh, this, the gorilla controversy? And the very first thing people say is, where was the mother? Right. Nobody says, where was the father? Nope. Just not, and I, and I get it to some degree, like there's some part of our, that's just been it's what, thing. it's yeah. a primal whatever, yeah. or it's been our culture that the mothers are the prime caregivers. Right. And, but I do think it's an interesting conversation to say, hey, let's stop saying female comedian. Let's just say comedians. Yeah. Let's well, say comic actor. Well, and the the comedy, more than I think anything else, has the power to go at these things. And that's why I love Amy Schumer, is that hmm. she is directly and powerfully attacking these stereotypes. Yeah. And, and, and in a way, I think she's amazingly brave and really fearless because she's the way she's allowed herself to be photographed. Oh, the yeah. Way she's, yes. she's By just the way, like, we're the same size. Let's be clear. <laughs> no not, joke. We're the same size. Yeah, and right. I would never be caught in my underwear on a photograph. I'll tell you right yeah. now. No. Uh, and yet, it's like she's all about I the way she, she, she looks. She looks beautiful. I totally agree. And yeah. you know what? Like Tig Notaro. There's another. Do you watch uh, Tig? I love Tig. Yeah. Two pieces. Okay, amazing. And her stand up. Yes. And when she took off her shirt, did you yeah. see it? Oh I didn't God! See it. I oh my lord! Man. It was Powerful. just. I mean, that's. There are women, and I think it's interesting that she doesn't identify. Like you don't think of her. Like she is a woman. Yeah. Yep. But when I first saw her, I really didn't know because Tig. I don't know the name. Right. That's fair. And she looks, and she's always said, I get told I right. look like a boy. And mm -hmm. then she has, you know, breast cancer right. and has right. no breasts. Now you're really leaning toward that boy right. Right. thing. But I was thinking about this last night. I was like, we don't think about men and whether or not they're attractive when we talk about funny men. Right. We don't think well, about, like, well, you don't you go. You did mention Bill Murray was sexy. Well, but and... I'm talking about, like, comedic, like stand-ups. Oh, we don't stand put them into a category yeah, no, of, like, of you know, whether or not. I don't know who's the latest stand. I don't know. Sure. The standards of male attractiveness are just 20 steps lower than female attractiveness in terms of to be a public figure. Right. Like, like that, mm. that you can have Sean Connery with Catherine Zeta Jones and we go, oh, that's fine. Right. But if you had the reverse, yeah. and, and, and let's say that's the edge. I'm a rare guy. I don't like to see that, actually. I think it's incredibly unbelievable. And I have a hard time seeing that. Most dudes I know don't have a problem with it. But for me, if I see a significant difference in ages, I go, eh, fuck you. That's ridiculous. And not even just ages, but like, let's be honest. Catherine Zeta Jones is hot. Yes. Sure. And 
he's 20 years older and he's, you know, at least 30 years, 30, 30 yeah, years yeah, older. Yeah, yeah. So in, in 1964 in Dr. No, he was hot. Yes. yes. But, but he's not hot in 1990, yeah. whatever. Yeah. In Entrapment. Yeah. The, the, and you look at, you know, there's so many male actors who are heavy or balding or, you know, funny mm-hmm. looking in one way mm-hmm. or another that are successful and dominated right. for Academy Awards. And there are almost no female mm-hmm. actors that fit those categories in those ways. Well, that's why everybody talks about Melissa McCarthy, you know, yeah, being right. heavy. And I mean, she's a genius. There's just she's no so getting funny. around it. Oh my God. She's a, my, I had a friend who saw her at Groundlings mm. when she was in the shows there. And she said it was like the room lost its air when she came in. It was changing. And that's, I, you know, not name droppy at all. But when I was on set with Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. I wasn't really in the scene with him. I was oh, around God. him. This but when he again. came into the room, I'm not kidding. It was like the air changed. Like you oh, felt yeah. physically different yeah. when he was around. There's like a weird It's weird to be around chemical. stars. I felt it too. But I've been around so many like stars. Like, yeah. right. I've done every, I'd never felt that way about anybody else. I did a thing with Mel Gibson. He's lovely. I did not feel this way. Mm. There was like his physical energy shifted everything. And she said that was the same with Melissa McCarthy. She wow. walked in and everything just like shifted and everything she did was genius. I had that experience at the SAG Awards when Michael Douglas came in with Catherine Zeta-Jones. I swear to God, that's as closest to royalty as I'll yeah. ever be. Yeah. There was this wave. You're right. It's it's really imp- it's it's almost you can't see it. No. But it's it washes over you yeah. and they have such a just an air of beauty and glamour and just this energy that you're like, oh my God, like, yeah. wow, you know, and when you're in the presence of it, you know it, but you can't speak it. You just yeah. know it. And in her case, it's with Melissa McCarthy. It's yeah. not beauty in the way right. that like Catherine right. Zeta-Jones will make you kind of fall over. Right. It's just her comedic. That's why yeah. I kind of feel like you got her, you got Kristen Wiig. Yeah. And I really love Kate. Yes. I yeah. love her so much. Kate her alien fantastic. sketch on Saturday Night Live. I could watch it <laughs> right. 50 times. That one in the Dead Poet Society. Did you guys see yes. the Dead Poet Society oh, one? the cut the head. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> um, they're, like, how can these people be involved in this movie and it not be right. something... Well, and this is why this is why I wish and Leslie too, who's very funny on her own, yeah, that yeah. we could be nice people and root for them. You're right. I hope it's a good movie, mm-hmm. and, and 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 you know that I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because they are unbelievably yeah. talented. Well, I think there is a backlash to this anchor and that is developing amongst people I, I would include us I guess the three of us in it that, that want this film to be good to shut those voices up want Paul Feig not to fail here but also if they do it's just a bad movie yeah. that's it nobody's dying that's yeah exactly it, it doesn't mean women aren't <laughs> funny because fuck you you have bridesmaids Fuck you, Lily right. Tomlin. There's Carol Burnett. There's uh, Joan Rivers. You can go down the list. Many of those are, are dead or 90. Of, I know, but I'm saying... But let's just be been, clear. They've been funny for a long time. Is oh, what yeah. I'm saying. The stupidity of I, that argument drives me insane. It makes me crazy, especially... But it, it is interesting because I worked in a comedy club as a waitress for mm. many years in Minnesota. Yeah. And I saw all the people. I saw Ellen DeGeneres. She was amazing. Yeah. I saw Paula Poundstone. Poundstone amazing. Roseanne Barr. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Was Roseanne Barr. Yeah told us not to look her in the eye you know that kind of shit Blech. um but did but, you ask what organ you should look at you i, I just ear? ignored it i just went right up to her and said can i get you something and she was annoyed and i got her coke i don't know she was with tom arnold so you know yeah exactly but my point is i can name those people because and there was only like two female comedians who did the regular rounds to the 50 male comedians like right, there just right. weren't as many 
women doing it and then i asked them why and they're like you this is such a man's culture mm. like you're in the room you have to be a certain type of person right. to be able to hang and i think that's part of why amy schumer and sarah silverman have successfully kind of navigated the waters because yeah. they are that type of person and then they get made you know into something because they're like what sarah yeah. silverman everybody's like oh she slept with everybody Oh, I didn't hear that. Oh, oh that? I mean, that's like the thing that, oh. you know, the comedy club people would say like, oh, she slept oh. with everybody. But you know what? what I think every comedian has slept guys, with everybody. Yeah, of, All the guys yeah. have slept with, believe me, I slept with everybody when I was there. Waitress. I'm kidding. <laughs> I didn't sleep know. with them. Good to know. I kissed I know. them though. I did kiss a lot of them. I'll be honest. <laughs> but this is, but this is, this is way well because that's humor. Humor is the way to a woman's heart. There's nothing wrong with that. But <laughs> it's like, true. But, but like, this is, uh, uh, this is what interesting what you bring up here, uh, Vicky, because talking about like sleeping and all this kind of jazz, right? A lot. I think a lot of men who do these kind and look, they can come after me if they want with their with their pasty arms, and they come after me if they want. But like, <laughs> but the thing is, I think a lot of men who get into stand up get into it from a place of feeling inadequate about society, inadequate with women. Yep. And so when they see women coming in and infringing, it exposes their insecurities, and so they have to be the rudest, most crudest thing. And you can see that at times in how Bill Murray treats Sigourney Weaver in this movie. It's in certain moments, you're just like, oh, he kind of. Oh right, we're talking about a movie. Yeah, we're talking about a movie. She's, I'm trying to <laughs> Nice segue. She's, she's a classical, right? She's a what? Violinist? Yeah. Is that correct? Cellist. And a cellist. Sorry, cellist in the movie. And so she's she's got this certain level, right? But Murray walks in and just completely denigrates it all and makes fun of it all and like kind of a, kind of a comedy of manners type scene that they have between each other. But but you see that this is this is the approach that a lot of these films took at that time towards women in their comedy. You mm-hmm. know, you still, go back and watch Animal House. It's very uncomfortable to watch Animal House. I've never it, seen Animal House. Oh, what? Yeah, I feel like I need shouldn't. a penis well, at this, to see it. Yeah. I've always felt like I need a penis. Yeah. It is so right. offensive at this time in this era. It really is. It's And I loved that movie so much. So did I. Young, I saw Porky's. Is that a similar? Porky's is not a good movie. That, no. But it's a, but equally offensive. Yeah. So you okay. take Porky's and then you translate it to much more talented people who are genuinely really, really funny. Yeah. And that's what Animal House is. And, and, okay. And don't be upset with underage. It's it's uh, pretty, pretty rapey. Yeah. 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 Wow. It's very rapey. Yeah. It's 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 really it's. And don't well, be. It goes back to the thing we were talking about yeah. before of like times have changed. Yeah. Yes. And 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 there's kinds of comedies that's maybe that's out. And yeah. Don't do that anymore. Um, one thing I want to say about Sigourney Weaver that yeah. I loved her quote, which was that she said she felt she was the the Margaret Dumont. Yes. Of, of uh, Ghostbusters, which is Margaret Dumont, uh, for those of you who don't know, is she was the straight uh, female character in the G- Marx Brothers movies. Yeah. She was the right. older woman that uh, Groucho in particular would play off of. And in a lot of ways, that's what Sigourney's doing. Yeah. She is she's, a fantastic She's a great straight. straight. Yeah, yeah, but then she does that that possessed stuff oh my God, with really such well. commitment. Yeah. Um, that was her audition, by the way. Really? She, she really wanted to be in the movie. And, you know, she'd done Alien. Mm-hmm. Which, ugh, uh, love. And and done some serious films. And, and Ivan was like, can she be funny? And she came in and he said, can you be a dog? And she did it. And he went, okay then. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I guess we're going to cast you in this movie. Yeah, yeah, she's hilarious. I had an audition where a director, I went in and they went, what animal would you like to be? Uh, and I said, a cat. Meow. <laughs> I left. I was like, okay, this is also for like no money. Bye. Yeah. Don't ask me to be an animal. That, that I'll get. Uh, Ivan Reitman, I'll, I'll, I'll do an animal. <laughs> Absolutely. For this script, I would have done an animal. For that script, I would have done an animal. Mm. 
She well, is really funny in that movie, she though. Is, she is. She is. I, I enjoyed the 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 movie. We gotta have to talk about the movie at least for a few more minutes. But like the the idea of the, how the movie progresses in terms of it does a smart thing in that it keeps upping the ante. Yeah. Right. And they have a great villain in William Atherton, Ugh. who unfortunately suffered for this movie afterwards I for heard. a long time. Oh yeah. People hated him. They spit him, at him. Yeah. They called him ridiculous. They would start fights in bars with him. Like he called Reitman and complained about it. But it's like sometimes you you know you. He's a really good asshole. Like he wasn't die hard. Die hard. I think it's the accumulation of him playing assholes that mm-hmm. people, you know, can go. As whereas Christoph Waltz could play a real asshole in a number of films, no one would ever come up to think to call him anything like that. No. You know, and so it's just a different time, different period. But like, what I like is it keeps upping the ante, and it's believable. They shut down the system, mm-hmm. and it sets all this off. Like all these story points make sense in the movie, yeah. so that when you get to the final fight. It was a natural progression of things because re- there's going to be healthy skepticism. And then once this thing comes to life, you've got to go to the mayor's office and get this thing squared away. Yeah. And so it's just fun. And then the po- I mean, the cardinal comes in and all this kind of stuff. It's great. Well, and know, the way that the movie is, it's such a New York movie. Yes. And the kind of heroes that they become, they're not working class exactly, although Ernie Hudson is, but they're hmm. ordinary schlubs who've been kicked around by the system and then get to become the heroes. And right. the city of New York comes behind them. Both it, apparently in a real sense because yeah. they once this car this weird ectomobile started going around New York started seeing it and there was it would go out in the paper that and then when they would see and they by the way shut down Columbus Circle for three days whoa wow yeah to shoot that so yeah it's crazy wow. I heard they did some of the car stuff without like permits and stuff they uh, <laughs> were getting yeah, in a trouble little bit, a little bit yeah there was one in particular that they got shut down for. But uh, which you don't really do too much anymore. No. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and so the city of New York rallied around the Ghostbusters as actual real heroes. Well, and heroes. the script was genius in talking about the building being a specific. Yeah. That it was built with. Doesn't Ackroyd say it's like I've never seen? It's either an insane person or a genius or, or whatever genius. that uh, built yeah. the structure of this building, and so it allowed for so much yeah. stuff to happen that you went okay. Yeah, you yeah. know, I think he. I read that uh, Ivan Reitman said there were so many special effects that didn't get kind of polished by the deadline, but they just went, oh well, and people didn't care. Well, part. I mean, it, it, it's part of the way that movie was made was they have the idea from Ackroyd. There's no script. Ivan Reitman goes in to pitch it at uh, Columbia, yeah, and he says, Bill Murray, Dan Ackroyd were people fighting ghosts in New York. And the guy says, great. How much money do you want for it? <laughs> And this is, that's all, that's the whole pitch, really. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, and he's trying to think of a number, and he takes the largest budget he'd ever had, which was Stripes, $10 million, and he tripled it. He said, uh, $30 million. And the guy said, if you have it done by June, and it was currently June, so one year, mm-hmm. they have no script, and release it in June, you could do it for $30 million. Well, and he went, you got a deal. <laughs> so there was so much time pressure on ah, this movie. Well. I mean, they were writing the script, and they were going right into shooting it, and they had... It's a huge special effects. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. And yes, of course, they barely made it. And right. apparently that guy at Columbia, they, people thought he was crazy yeah. for green lighting it. And mm. I mean, a $30 million comedy at that time, that's a huge yeah. budget. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the How much did this one cost? The current? Uh, Do we know? know. We could Significantly look up, more. I'm, sure. I'm guessing it's a little more. Yeah. $200 million, I bet. Yeah, mm, that sounds probably, right. Probably, yeah. Uh, I just totally made up that number. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what you did. Look it up and see what you can <laughs> okay, find. Uh, you talk amongst yourselves. I'm By the way, can up. we just re- real quick, and part of why I love is the yeah. I think Spy is one of the funniest movies. Spy is brilliant. And that is why I give my faith to Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. She's got me with Spy. Now, I didn't see The Boss. 
I didn't see the boss, but uh, I oh, heard it looked so. It didn't bad. get great reviews, but two of my friends went to see it and said it is a funny movie really? if you enjoy that type of humor. Okay, and they did. And they Fifty-four million, but according, good guess. according good to guess. Google. Close enough. Yeah, I mean, spy made get... me laugh out loud, and that's hard to do. Yeah, I'm, I have it, and whenever it comes <clears throat> on the pay channels or whatever, I'll just leave it on if yeah. I don't have anything to do because it's very funny, oh, and she's God. great in it. And her and Rose Byrne have great chemistry yeah. through the whole film. You know? Yeah, so I have faith. I have faith in Melissa. I'm, I don't I'm, know her, but I have faith in her. Well, may, so maybe we'll see how it goes. Maybe we'll have to reconvene. Yeah, I would love that. And, oh yeah, and, and discuss the new movie when it comes out. Sure, it's not. I mean, so the cinephiles mostly we want to talk about films of the past right but you know this might I be think one it's where a good con- yeah. i think it's a good conversation to yeah. compare the because yeah. the, it's one of the few remakes anybody will ever talk about probably true. i mean very true you know extensively yeah. unless somebody's making et and i don't know about it no they well, don't want to make that. et please don't do that no never do that right there's some films that just people won't touch no matter what they won't and touch they shouldn't it. Right. And the, the thing is, there's a Ghostbusters 2, and it's not good. It's no. Not a good so movie. don't tell me that this is a franchise that's untouchable. Right. Just well, don't. <laughs> you know? The thing is, what you're touching, this I was trying to say before, you're t- there's this core of an idea, yeah. comedy fighting ghosts. We can do a million stories of, of course. that. It's Frighteners. Yeah. It's like, so th- we can go on and on. Yeah. You know, it's the remaking a perfect little film like E.T. Yeah. or Psycho or, you know, which Ugh. they did. Yeah. Where it's like, no, no, you did it. It was good. We, it was good. It was yeah. good. Let's it's move perfect. On. We move on. <laughs> Unless you have something new to say. Yeah. Um, and that's, again, you know, it's now women and that's something new. Yeah. It's yeah. a new perspective. It's a new era with, you know, the timing changing right. and. So it is kind of a different, I mean. I think they knew they messed up with that first trailer because, you know, the second trailer has none of that stuff where they're going 30 years later or 30 years before. Yeah, yeah. Because it was not supposed to be in the same universe. It's not supposed to be oh, in, it's the not in the same no, universe. No, it's not in the same universe. They said this from the beginning. It's, they are, they, they like, Aykroyd and are not supposed to be these characters from before. This oh. is happening in a whole new reality. There has never been any Ghostbusters. Oh, this is the first time the Ghostbusters have ever appeared. I actually liked that it was the same universe. Well, see, and that's the thing. And so, so it's going back and forth because they say very publicly as executives, we're not going to have anything to do with the old yeah. movie. It's going to be. So you, these cameos that appear may not be the characters. They won't be, right? right. They can't be. But they may evoke energy, yeah. but they won't be the actual characters. That's supposedly what I what it's supposed to be because they said. And so when they did that, people were like, well, wait, you said it's not going to be the same universe. Now you're going to. So then naturally the fanboys went nuts because yeah. they were like, you're comparing it is now. Now we get to compare it. Which is it? Blah, blah, blah. And you're right. Using Slimer, using kind of, I think you see the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man yep. again in the trailer. You're like, oh, what are we doing with this again? Again. And so yeah. it just, it's, yeah. I think they messed up. So the second trailer is a lot more effective. Yep, you don't see that. Point. You don't see any of that. There's Chris, actually funny bits. Right. And Chris, there's more of Chris Hemsworth, which I think is important as the Annie Potts character. So it's just, it's, that's just, it looks Chris, like it's going to Chris be Hemsworth good. is Annie, Annie Potts. Potts. <laughs> she, I'd like him to see, I'd like to see him do Pretty in Pink too then. And he could be the record store owner. I think that would be fantastic. <laughs> I just want to see him on a designing woman sketch. <laughs> it's, a whole, it's a whole new career for him. Oh, I um, love Annie Potts. All right. Okay, uh, so I think uh, I think we have we've gone on a long journey here with Ghostbusters <laughs> with a lot of roads and, and tangents. Yeah. Yes, and, and Vicky, any th- final thoughts about this movie? Uh, about Ghostbusters? Uh, well, first of all, they, everybody should see it. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. Yeah, what are you doing listening if you haven't seen it? I know. Yeah. Then then really go back, rewind. <laughs> yes. Um, for, for those people who haven't seen, it, I'd be really curious to hear if what from what Vicky said was it slow? Like, yeah. do the jokes still mm-hmm. work? Does it hold up uh, if you're coming to it for the first time? Yeah. Yeah. Show it to your kids, and you can actually show this one to your teenagers. It's pretty mm-hmm. safe. There's pretty. It's only a couple really scary moments, like you said, and yeah. those not your five year old. Right. Yeah. Not. But otherwise, yeah. 
and my son really likes it. So oh, that's oh, good. That's good. You know, good. and he's How thirteen. Old? He's thirteen. Yeah. So that's a good age for this movie. It I is think. a good mm-hmm. age, and he's a boy. Yeah. And that's another. Um, and if you if you watch it and you have some thoughts, you're welcome to leave them on our Facebook page, which is at the Cinephiles, and you can reach me on Twitter at sr morris. And John, you want to tell me the yes? Too? You can always reach me. Uh, uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Roca says R O C H A. You can see all the shows I'm hosting or co-hosting, like this one, or all the shows I get to be a guest on, uh, and any future projects that I do in the uh, coming down the pike. And Vicky, where can they reach you? Uh, well, let's see. So many places. But let's start with uh, VictoriaGarciaKelleher.com. That's an easy place yes. to see my work. And at FunnyChick, F-U-N-Y-C-H-I-C-K. Uh, don't ask. The other right. N is missing. Uh, is my Twitter and my Instagram. It's at FunnyChick. Nice. And, and I would definitely uh, check Vicky out because yes. you will start. You go on YouTube and you start to see Vicky moments. Mm-hmm. You will find out, oh, she's that funny person. <laughs> she's that funny thing. Oh, and she's there too. Oh, yeah. And one last thing. If people did enjoy your thoughts on acting and, and uh, your points oh, of right. views and training, where would they come and take a class? Yeah, like, definitely. Uh, in Hollywood, Leslie Kahn. You can go to Leslie, S-L-E-S-L-Y-K-A-H-N.com. Mm-hmm. I teach a class there with Leslie, but everybody there is amazing. And mm-hmm. she specializes in comedy. So that's yeah. the place to go if you're going to be funny. That's great. Well, you should definitely do that if you're an actor in Hollywood looking to, learn some, to strengthen your craft. Yeah. All right. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Cinephiles, and we'll see you next time. Bye.